Uh, we're starting a brand new series this morning, but before we do, I just want to ask really quickly about the series that we did last week where we talked about the seven habits of highly effective Christian congregations. And even though not a lot of people here, I'm still curious to know how many people were able to continually try to spend time reading God's Word. A couple. All right. I don't know if some of those were guilt hands or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Uh, how many people were able to find time to pray? Continue to spend some time praying. Oh, good. A couple of people. That's good, 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 good. Um, great. And keep that up. Don't let not finding the time stop you. Um, just like, you know, if something's important to us, we'll find time to do it. I find time to watch a lot of TV. Actually, um, yeah, that w- <laughs> there was a... a an app that Christie's cousin introduced me to, and it actually tells you how much time you spent based on if you list all the shows you watch, the episodes, how much time, how much of your life really you spent watching TV. And I'm not going to share that information with you, but it's a lot. But if you something's important to you, you will find time. You'll make time to do it, even if it's only a little bit. Uh, but I want to dig a little deeper into the three questions we brought up last week, and that was first and foremost. Do I really love the lost like Jesus does? And the reason I bring this up is because most churches think, hey, I love Jesus. I'm good. I love God. I'm good. That's not all. Okay? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus came to save sinners, to save the lost, to save those people who are separated and far from him. And if we are to carry on his mission, then we need to love the lost like he does and he was willing to sacrifice everything for them and us so we need to be willing to say hey how far will i go uh, to love and to reach those people who are separated from god and then the other question is do i really want to be a part of a healthy congregation because the reality is um it's not just about us coming here and sitting and, and, and singing songs and hearing but are we actively engaged and doing things to reach those people who are far away from God. And finally, do I really want to do whatever it takes to provide a healthy community for the lost? And you can place that word community with church or ecclesia. Do I want to do whatever it takes so that I can provide a place where if I go and reach those people who are far away from God and let them know that God loves them? Is there a place where they can come to and experience that love, a community of people that will come around them, show them the love of Christ, equip them so that they can go out and do the same thing and share the love of Christ with people in their circles of influence? Now, this is important because if we truly, really want to do this, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy work to be the church. Uh, Living life with other people is messy. You get some of their junk on you. They get some of your junk on them, uh, and it's difficult, but um, we have to be passionate about it, and this is how serious it is. I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1, book of Acts chapter 1, and in the book of Acts, uh, was written by Luke, and Luke wrote it to record here the things that happened in the church, in the early church, uh, as they began doing the things that God called them to do, and in the book of Acts chapter 1, Uh, Just I'm going to start at the beginning. We're going to go through a little bit of this. It says in verse 1, chapter 1, In my former book, Theophilus, and he wrote this because he wrote the book of Luke. My former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, now underline that word suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This was not an option. This was not a, hey, a suggestion. This was a command from God to the apostles. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, hey, the, the, the gift, this thing that I'm giving to you freely and I want you to accept, is the Holy Spirit. But that word suffering, that word suffering um, is intense because suffering means that you're going through some pain. It's a state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. But in the King James Version, it uses the word passion. Because it also, in the, in the Greek, the word that's used for suffering in the Greek also means to be overcome with emotion or to be sick. Because if you're overcome with so much emotion about something, you may not be your normal self. You may go to extremes for something that you're overcome with emotion for that you wouldn't normally do. And if you look in the King James, here's what it says. It says, to whom also he shooed himself alive after his passion instead of his suffering. And if you Google the word passion, uh, it tells you it's, you know, I mean, Google the word suffering or, or passion. If you Google the word passion, it tells you what passion means. And then the second definition is the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's, it's like a globally understood thing but that, and if you remember the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, was about how much, how passionate he was for the loss that he was willing to die for Right? He says, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen to them 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Now, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, or as we read in the NIV, the Holy Spirit, not many days hence. Jesus was basically saying that, hey, uh, um, you guys are, you want to fulfill my mission. I've equipped you to fulfill my mission. But in order to truly fulfill my mission and see the lost like I do and want to do for the lost like I've done for them, you need the same spirit that is in me. And when they went and they waited and they prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit came and filled them and then turn to Acts chapter 5 to see what happened because they started healing people, they started doing all of these things that they wouldn't normally do as they were filled with the Spirit of God. And in Acts chapter 5, this is what we read. Drop down to verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one even dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number as they, in their spirit filled, filled, with, the, filled with the Spirit of God, became passionate about reaching the lost. They went out and started doing things they wouldn't normally do, and more and more people started coming in, becoming a part of this group. Fifteen, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. They were performing supernatural acts because they were filled with the spirit of a supernatural God. Now, verse 17, here's where it gets tricky. Then the high priest, not of the believers, but of the church, the Jews, the church, the synagogues, the Jewish church, high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. See, it's, it's, it's a matter of God saying, hey, look, you guys are now filled with my spirit. You, you have this passion to go and share the gospel and reach the law. Other people, when they see you doing that, they're not going to be as friendly. This is why there's so much division in the churches because there are some people that, hey, all we want to do is reach the lost. There are other people that have different agendas and there's all this infighting. But God sent someone and said, hey, here's your role. Go and finish what you started. Go and tell the people about this new life. He didn't say go keep healing people. He didn't say I've set you free so that you can go keep doing miracles. He didn't say I set you free so you can go keep even meeting in buildings. That's not your role. Your role and the reason I'm breaking it out is so you can go and share the gospel. And now, this is what happens. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple porch, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. They were being, being obedient to what God called them to do. Now, I'm going to jump ahead uh, because they end up getting arrested. Uh, they were brought in, and they were told that, hey, you're not supposed to do this anymore. And they said, hey, we can't do anything except for what God calls us to do. And the whole Jewish leadership that brought them in, they were in kind of like disarray. So jump over to verse 33. When they said, hey, we can't do anything except what God called us to do, in verse 33, when they, meaning the Jewish leadership, the, the Jewish leadership heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who ended up being, was the mentor of Saul, who later became Paul, uh, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claimed to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, not Judas who was one of the twelve that killed himself, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band in of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. And this is why a lot of a lot of people in the church uh, that set, that set off and do all kind of crazy things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Uh, this is why a lot of people have written books on church planting, and and you find more books on church planting than you do books about how to live your life in the church, because everyone is trying to find a way to capture and do what these people did in the Book of Acts, because that's the way the church is supposed to be. And all of the church leaders are trying to, how do we get back to this? And Gamaliel put it best. If it's us doing it, if it's just men saying, hey, I would love to have 
this room filled with people so I can preach to them, it may not work. It may, it may not work. But if it's God doing it, absolutely, positively nothing to stop it. And that's what he was telling them. And then this is what happened. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Flawed means they were whipped with their skin shredded off of their back. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And I want you to t stop for a minute. Picture this as you. That somebody stops you at your work or your home and says, Hey, I hear you've been going to that church crossroad. You need to quit. And they take you and they beat you like whip the skin off of your back. And this is their response. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. This is after they had been beaten and flogged, all of them, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace, for the name. They had that same level of passion to where even though it was costing them physically something, not just, hey, I took a cut in pay, not just it's going to cost me my job, they were getting beat down and they rejoiced, hey, because we get to suffer for Christ. And their response, even though they had been beaten once and told not to do it, verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. So now they weren't just doing it out in the temple courts. They were going door to door, knocking on people's homes. They did it before the Jehovah Witnesses did, knocking on people's homes. And they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They took their passion and their love for the lost and started using it. Now, here's the deal. I'm extremely passionate uh, about the gospel. I, I love preaching the gospel. And I think that God, well, I know for a fact that God has given every single believer a spiritual gift for them to use in his kingdom and for his kingdom. But the problem is, some of us, one, we don't know what our gift is. Some of us, two, even if we have the gift, we just don't have that passion to use it. I mean, some of us, I've, I've seen, and again, I'll use musicians because most of us, you know, we hear music, radio, whatever. Uh, you can tell when you hear a song, especially if it's live, between a musician who likes to play music and a musician who is passionate about the music they play. Like, that is all that they want to do. And for every single person, there is a gift that God has put inside of you, but we have to find the passion. If we're, like we said, we want to do whatever it takes uh, to reach the loss and provide a place for them to come, then we've got to find that passion. Now, I want to share a quote with you from Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a pastor of Saddleback Church in, somewhere in California, and he wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, huge mega church. Uh, both books were like big multi-million dollar sellers. Uh, here is what he, the quote that he said. Uh, he said, passion is waking up in the morning wherever you are and bounding out of bed because you know that there's something out there that you love to do. It's not something I have to do. It's not something I get to do. It's something that I love to do and I'm excited every morning to do it. That's passion. He said that you believe in and that you're good at. Something that's bigger than you are and you can hardly wait to get at it again. It's larger than just uh, you. It's being a part of something bigger than just you and your world. 
And he says, it's something you'd rather be doing than anything else. You wouldn't give it up for money because it means more to you than money. And we've all seen stories or documentaries or we know people who are musicians or artists and they could be doing other things, but they are sticking it out because they're passionate about what they're doing. They believe it's more important to them than anything. So they're pouring all their time, their energy, and their resources. And some of us have looked at these people and said, why don't you just go get a job and make sure your bills are paid? Because that would take me away from doing this thing that I love to do, I'm excited to do, I'm gifted to do, and I'm passionate about doing. Now let me share this other quote with you. Um, Charles Spurgeon, uh, pastor, great theologian, somewhere in the 1800s. Sorry, I don't remember the exact date. Uh, He says this. He says, I no more believe, and he's talking about pastors, but you can replace whatever that gift is that God has put in you, whether it be encouraging people, whether it be teaching, whether it be uh, spending time with the children, whatever it is, that spiritual gift that God has given you, you can replace it, and the same thing applies. He says, I no more believe it possible to stop ministers, again, he's talking about pastors, than to stop the stars of heaven. I think it no more possible to make a man cease from preaching if he is really called than to stop some mighty cataract, which is like a waterfall, by seeking with an infant's cup to drink its waters. Here's what he's saying. He says, if God has given you the gift, right, it is no more likely that you're going to stop wanting to do that then it's possible for someone to go to Niagara Falls and says, I'm going to end this Niagara Falls by taking a little child's cup and just drinking the water. We would look at them and say, what in the ham sandwich are you doing? That's ridiculous. And he says the same thing about a preacher who God has equipped and given the gift of preaching or whatever gift that God has given to you. He says the man has been, rem- has been moved of heaven. Who shall stop him? Just like we read. If it's God doing it, who can stop him? He has been touched of God. Who shall impede him? With an eagle's wing he must fly. Who shall chain him to the earth? With Sarah's voice he must speak. Who shall stop his lips? Is not his word like a fire within me? And basically he says that it's, it's, it's a passion that's burning within you that you cannot stop. And some of you have all of these gifts, whether it be encouragement, whether it be building stuff, whether it be building cars, whether it be building buildings, whatever the gift is, God has given to you. And some of you know that, yeah, there's this thing that I, 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 I people think I'm crazy because this is what I want to do, but I can't stop. It's burning within me. I am willing to do all and risk all to do it. He says, must I not speak if God, and again, he says must, not I want to, not I should, but must I not speak if God has placed it there. And when a man does speak as the Spirit gives him utterance, he will feel a holy joy akin to heaven. And he says, if you're using this gift that God has given you, it will bring you such joy, such delight. It's unexplainable to people who see why you're, why you're spending all your time doing this. But to you, you know the joy that God has given you when you use this gift. He says, and when it is over, he wishes to be at his work again and longs to be once more preaching. And he ends this way. He says, I do not think young men are called of God to any great work who preach once a week and think they have done their duty. I think if, and this is the key again, if God has called a man, he will impel him to be more or less constantly at it, and he will feel, 
Again, a passion is a feeling, an emotion. He will feel that he must preach among the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I can't speak for you because I don't know what your passion is, but for me, and granted, some of you may think I'm not that good at it or whatever, but I love sharing the gospel. When I'm writing out and, and working on a message sometimes, I'm still excited about that message, but I'm even more excited about other ones to come. So I'm excited about this series we're doing, but I'm also excited about a series we're going to do on teaching on Malachi. I'm excited about a series we're going to do uh, called Because He Lives, talking about how to deal with grief. I'm excited. about. I mean, my mind just loves all the things that you can pull out of God's Word and wants to share it with people. And some people might be like, yeah, okay, that's not that exciting to me. But for me, it's like, it's, it's like someone, it's Christmas every day because I get excited about it. And there are things that God has equipped you with that you get excited about. And here's the thing, all right? Passion, strong and barely controllable emotion, no one can tell you what your passion is. I mean, I could take a guess, and I may be right. I can either confirm or deny. Someone else can confirm or deny because a passion is a feeling, right? And you're not going to see that passion until you see that person working in that spiritual gift that God has given them. And some of you guys, and I'll go to music again, kid you not, this happens every stinking Sunday. When we start practicing, right, that it doesn't matter what songs are doing, whatever, somehow, for some reason, they will break into some secular song, no music in front of them, that all of them knows, and they just go, and it goes for minutes. And sometimes I just walk down there and go do something else and come back when they're done. Because they're just, they're just passionate about... I mean, it's great. They love playing the songs we sing, but they also love just playing. And I, I mean, it's great because sometimes when we're, when we're looking through the music, it's like, wait, let's make sure we're all in sync. We all know this. What was the song? That I can't remember. You guys started playing from that commercial this morning. Final Countdown. Yeah. From commercial song. And, and, and not only playing the song, but also reminiscing about the commercial itself. But there are things if you're passionate about it, that you will spend your entire life doing it. And there are things that if, if you're exercising and using your spiritual gift, um, you'll have that, that gift, that joy, that passionate feeling that, hey, there is nothing that's going to stop me from using this. So here's a couple of questions, things to think about. What would you spend the rest of your life doing if money no, were no object? Now, I get it. Because if we had won the Powerball, not that any of us played, right? But if we had won the Powerball, what would you spend the rest of your life doing? What would you say? Now, I get it. All of us would travel because I'd travel a couple of cruises, you know, go eat around the world for a bit. But then at some point, I would still spend the rest of my life doing this. Still preaching, still teaching, you know, dress a lot better, drive a better car. But I would still do this. So what would you spend the rest of your life doing if money were no object? And what would you spend the rest of your money doing? Like, hey, money is an object, but I'm going to invest my time and my money and my resources into this. This is what I'm going to spend my money doing. This is what I'm going to spend the little money I have. And, and many of you think of what's called the starving artist, you know, that you see their paintings and they, they, they're living in hovels because they're spending all their time and resources and all their money on this thing using this gift because they're passionate about it. And what are you willing to spend the rest of your money doing? 
And finally, what are you willing to spend your life doing for Jesus Christ? If God came down and said, hey, this is it. You have got to do this one thing for the rest of your life. What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to give your all for? For the God who gave his all for you. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to close out with a song. But before we do, uh, I just want to pray, God, we know that you have given us so much that you have poured your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, and your life out on us and your blood. And all that you ask from us is that we are willing to just share the love of Christ with others. But God, as we said, in order to create a place where those people can come, we have to use our spiritual gifts. We can't sit on the sidelines. We can't just watch as others do. We all have to be engaged in using our gifts and our talents to glorify you for your kingdom so that you would be lifted up and exalted. And I pray for everyone here as we continue through this series that every single person would find that gift that you have equipped them with, Lord, and be willing to use it for you so that you might be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's you we adore. It's you we love. It's you who shed his blood for us, who saved us, who put his Holy Spirit in us. And we just want to exalt your name. We want to be the church that you have called us to be, using the gifts that you have equipped us with to reach the people that you gave your life for. We pray that we do this in your name. Stay safe. See everybody next week.